Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Mike and Wade together in the studio, continuing our very long and slow walk through the life of Martin Luther. I have no idea what episode we are on in this. I think probably into the 40s already, maybe. I'm not sure. But we have gotten to the point where we are going to address the visitations, specifically um, visitations in Saxony, but beyond Saxony too. And there's going to be some documentation, uh, visitation articles, instructions on how we go about um, visiting churches and seeing how they're doing. Uh, we're remembering that we are now seeing sort of a separation between the churches that are going to continue under the papacy and those who are going to break away and go down an evangelical road. There's still hope of some reconciliation, but at the moment there needs to be some sort of administration, some sort of oversight over these churches that are, for lack of a better way of putting it, breaking away um, from the bishops and ultimately from the uh, the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church. So uh, we still sort of have this today, right? Uh, in, in our little world, we call them circuits and maybe circuit visitors. We may have a circuit pastor who is sort of the the overseer of a group of, of congregations and making sure that they have a pastor, make sure that church services are being conducted, all that kind of stuff. So we are kind of in the years, let's say, uh, 1526, 1527, 1528. That's where we're sort of right now. We have come off the Diet of Spire, the first Diet of Spire in 1526, where there were concessions made to the evangelical princes in exchange for military aid in Italy um, and then also um, in uh, Austria. Uh, to fight off the Turks. And so there was a little bit of, uh, uh, things were a little bit relaxed. The Edict of Worms that had declared Luther and his supporters as outlaws was uh, suspended temporarily. And so you could do, let's say, more official things without that threat hanging over your head, even though it probably wasn't going to be carried out in most circumstances. There was maybe a little bit more legitimacy here. And so we start to see some administrative things getting, uh, getting hashed out, and one of them is going to be parish visitations. With that introduction, Dr. Johnson, um, what's the importance Johnston. of this? Johnston. John. Stunned, like Johnstown. I know, I know we haven't known each other long, so. <laughs> Johnston, um, what do you got for me? Well, maybe if I can just start off with the um, importance of the the visitations for uh, a what they were supposed to do, and then b what they unfortunately unintentionally did. <clears throat> the uh, as the Lutheran churches find themselves now, and we've talked about the first Diet of Spire with a little bit of breathing room to try to organize themselves, ask what, um, how are these churches going to govern themselves? Uh, how are we going to have adequate preachers and, and pastors? How are they going to be funded? Um, what will preaching and the services look like? Uh, they're going to try to take advantage of this window that they have. Um, there's a desire then to undertake visitations of the parishes to get a sense for the state that they're in. Are they in pretty good shape? 
are they kind of in a, a woeful situation? Unfortunately, the latter is the case in most places. Keep in mind, uh, just because a territory became evangelical or Lutheran doesn't mean that all the priests agreed with that. Um, keep in mind also that not all the priests who might have even agreed with the evangelical cause had been well-educated. Uh, the standards for someone becoming clergy um, were not nearly as high as they are now in Lutheran or Roman Catholic churches. The seminary system uh, is going to be developed more fully much later. <clears throat> and so the question becomes, where are we at? What is the situation that we're looking at? And then how do we improve it, whatever that situation might be. Luther was a little leery about the visitations because they were going to be undertaken by the secular authorities. Now keep in mind at this time the secular authorities were Christians, and that that is very important to, uh, to keep in mind. But still it was going to be something that was overseen by the state and not by the church, and he saw this as problematic. Eventually he will agree to them, um, but with the understanding that this was an emergency situation, and so the priest or the duke was undertaking these visitations, not as priest or duke, <clears throat> but as fellow Christian. Right? Um, this was not meant to subordinate the church to the state. So that's the intention. The unfortunate consequence, you want to guess what it is, Mike? State churches. Yeah, it subordinates the church to the state um, even though well-intentioned princes and dukes may have done this at first, uh, as Luther had in mind, as fellow Christians and not as state authority, it sets a precedent that will really uh, stay in play to our own day. And it's a step towards the Landeskirche and the territorial churches, the state churches that are still found in Germany. That being said, there are some good things that came of it. Uh, the visitations are going to take place not in a constant flow, um, but bit by bit from 1526 to 1528. Important for that will be the instructions for the visitors of parish, uh, of parish pastors and Electoral Saxony, uh, which comes out in March of 1528. But already then that's going to start controversy, as you will have some in the Reformation camp who will see this as a law approach to reform, most famously Johannes Agricola of Eisleben. And this will lead um, to one of the, uh, there's several of these, but one of the antinomian controversies that will later develop, uh, which will pit Agricola against Melanchthon, and Luther will have to step in. And this leads to um, the development uh, by Melanchthon of the third use of the law, right? What is the use of the law for Christians? Luther had spoken primarily of the political and theological use of the law. Melanchthon is now going to articulate um, the third use of the law, which is the law we speak of in catechism class. Um, <clears throat> the first two, the political use being curb, um, the theological use we call the second use being mirror, and the third use might be a guide. A guide in common parlance. And uh, this is not how Luther had spoken, but it would now find its way into Lutheranism, and then it will be not entirely as Melanchthon articulated it, but um, aspects of it will find its way into the formula of Concord. So we see here already debates about how law and gospel shape how a church should be structured and 
organized. So this gets to the, the heart of reformational thought. It also exposes um, just how bad the situations are in these parishes in electoral Saxony. You have people who are not equipped to preach, or if they are preaching, are preaching, you know, on how to cook fish or brew beer. Um, you have preachers who do not know the basics of what would become the catechism, uh, whether it be the Ten Commandments or the Lord's Prayer or the Creed, um, to the extent that they should, or even in a few scary instances at all. Um, and so we're going to see church and state, law and gospel, all wrapped up into this. Um, but at its heart, we also see something that I think was a very good development within Lutheranism, a desire, a realization that they did not have, and a desire to establish, to train um, people equipped to be ministers of the gospel, to be able to study the scriptures, to be able to preach and teach law and gospel clearly and well. This will also be an impetus for some other very important developments, namely the catechisms. Um, will, uh, Luther will be <clears throat> impelled even more to come up with the catechisms, but also uh, the tradition of postilla in the Lutheran church will be solidified by this, the idea of here's books of sermons. So if you're not equipped or if you're not yet ready to preach well, here are some sermons you can at least read to the people so that they will be well-fed. We also see in this, then, the emphasis on preaching that will develop within the Lutheran Church. A sad development uh, that will eventually take place is that uh, it will often be the case, and it's sometimes even said, Rome got the altar and the Protestants got the pulpit. Right? This was not the intention of the Saxon visitations, um, but we do see the emphasis placed on preaching in Protestantism really uh, displayed here um, in what they're looking for and what they will decide to train pastors to be able to do. There's a long history of the altar side of things, and if you listen to our liturgy series, um, you'll get some of that. Um, that was not a hope within the Lutheran Church. It was something that was fairly intentional within the Reformed churches, um, but was not a hope within the Lutheran churches. Um, finally, another I see as an important development out of this, and I'll throw all these things to you, Mike, and you can comment on it, <clears throat> is here we're going to see a shift with Melanchthon. Um, you read the early Melanchthon, for instance, the 1521 Lotzi, um, which are phenomenal, which were published uh, without Melanchthon's permission <clears throat> because they were so good, and then Melanchthon gets all upset, and he complains to Luther, and Luther says, well, they're good. They should be, they should be out there. Um, Melanchthon sounds very much different there than he will after the Saxon visitations. And that's not to bag on Melanchthon. Uh, Melanchthon is, is someone that we ought to greatly appreciate within Luther circles. Um, we've had Scott Keith on here to talk about Melanchthon. We talked some Melanchthon and Flacius, Flacius in an episode. Um, a very brilliant man. Um, but Melanchthon is so shocked by what he sees that we, see, cl we clearly see a pendulum swing more back towards the law in his theology. We'll see this um, in the third use of the law. We'll see this um, with regards to free will, right? He doesn't want to have a teaching that might do away with human responsibility. Um, and so there'll be an uncomfortability with on the bondage of the, the will, for instance. 
And I think this is an important lesson for Lutherans without history, throughout history, and for pastors and um, seminarians, but also for lay people, that often when we become uh, disillusioned with the church or troubled by the fact that there is sin or ignorance um, or bad practice within it, um, it can be very easy for us to fall back on the law, right? And sometimes the law is necessary, right, in those situations. Um, but the goal ought always to be that the gospel can predominate more and more, be preached more clearly, um, that absolution, right, will ring forth. And this will be, if you study Luther's catechisms, where Luther will go. And I really do think we begin to see here a little bit of a, a diversion in the thought of um, Luther and Melanchthon. Um, and then obviously uh, Agricola, who had been a, a good friend, um, that break will become um, even more problematic over time as well. So we've got church and state, law and gospel. How should the church be organized? How should it be funded? These things all come in. But at the end of the day, what the visitations really expose is you have parishes and clergy who don't know the rudimentary teachings of the Christian church. Um, and how do we react to that. I threw a lot out there, Mike. I'll let you jump on anything you want to jump on. No, let me uh, kind of... Abigail, I, I apologize. I uh, I don't even... I mostly had given up soda, but I was up early, and then I had to meet my dad to get the kids um, uh, at the border, and... Because uh, they had which done border, a... border? Like Mexico, the, United States? They got the two littles, and right, socially distanced, all that, but... Um, so we... Uh, I went, stopped and got myself a Diet Coke, and... I know Abigail doesn't like when I drink my water bottle when we're recording, so if she produces this, I apologize. Can you hear this through your speakers, Mike? Yes, I sure can. You can? Yes. <laughs> we do need like a... I'll try like not a, to do that then. We do need to invest in like a cough button for each of our... Especially for me. Yeah. 90% of the noise is me, and I do apologize um, to Abigail for that. She was <clears throat> very respectfully sent me a message in Telegram yesterday, even called me Dr. Johnston. Yeah which I told her I prefer Mr. Wade. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a cartoon character. Yeah, and I did promise to throw out my water bottle, which uh, I'm not going to do because actually it's kind of an expensive water bottle. Okay. Um, it's okay. We'll, we'll try to I edit just see that, all of it I out. just saw that Ben talked trash on that thread after that. Did he? He said he calls me Mr. Trisha Johnston. Oh, boy. Um, I think he's assaulting my masculinity. Well... She does make more money than you well, and you don't know wear that. the pants in the family. No, I I'm wear just pants assuming because we probably make about the same. <laughs> um, you know, she, I'm guessing. I'm going to drink more now. Okay. All right. So the visitations, as you said, p people going out and, you know, they're in their Wittenberg. They're in their, let's say, ivory tower a little bit, right? And now what is it going to look like in the town? And they've been busy. Like, it's not just that they're ivory tower like they don't want to be amongst the people and keep in mind they're very involved in the parishes in Wittenberg right. but the parishes in Wittenberg are partly filled with right. theology faculty and governmental students. right yep. and so um, they're also busy with being excommunicated <laughs> possibly facing death right peasants it's, war they are isolated from that's better from the um, the parish 50 miles down the road in a town of five miles down yep. the road even 
So when they start going out, um, you have a variety of situations. You may have a parish priest who wants to lean Roman Catholic, but the people um, have have heard of are turning evangelical. You maybe have the opposite. You may have um, a situation where the priest has educated himself, um, but uh, the the local people are not, let's say, committed to Christianity when it comes to their day-to-day morality. You may and, we, a, and we don't want to, sorry for interrupting again, but we don't want to overestimate um, the degree to which in the rural communities, people were extremely uneducated. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just uneducated about things we think you'd learn in elementary school. Um, we, For many of them, their religious life was practiced with showing up to church but catechesis was just non-existent. Right. Sorry, go ahead, though, Mike. And catechesis, as we like, for instance, Bible class on Sunday is a very, very modern, contemporary phenomenon. Um, there, there's a there's there's a long history of a very slow process of catechesis for adults and for for children, which we'll get into, I'm sure. And they're not going to parochial schools. There are no parochial schools no. of of what we think of today. Then. You may have a situation where the priest is has heard of this evangelical stuff but hasn't really kind of digested it. You may have a situation where the priest is barely literate more than his people. And has a concubine yeah. and you is may, more concerned with village life than with ministry. And you may have a situation where you do have a robust uh, people that some of them are educated and thought, I mean, there, there probably you could say that there is, uh, there's a wide spectrum and you could probably find a town within all of those points of the spectrum. You also had situations where are the priests getting paid, right? Um, right. There may be uh, a situation where the congregation is not, has not stepped that up. That was not uncommon at all. Um, so you have, Two things, right? And this is where I think maybe you, you have your Melanchthon, where, where you're pinpointing that Melanchthon had it, maybe a, a little bit of a turn, is uh, the first issue is literally education. The information, the ability to digest that information, the ability to articulate that information to the people. This is where the catechism is going to be helpful, both the small and the large catechism. But then you also have the situation of, let's say it's closer to morality. How do I live my life? And I, I just don't, I don't necessarily mean, um, you know, uh, is it this wrong or, or is, this, is this right? I mean, living your life, are you going to be able to give away some of the superstition, uh, superstitious past? Um, but also there is going to be right and wrong morality, thinking uh, bedroom type sins as well, too. Um, and so you're, you're going to have situations where, okay, this is workable. And then you may also have a parish where you go, holy, wow, um, the, the, the guy in charge doesn't know anything. And the people in the streets aren't living anywhere close to what we would think of as a Christian lifestyle. And, and here too, <clears throat> if you're ever bored, an interesting thing to do is to read up about things like co- cohabitation, for instance, in early modern Europe. We tend to think like people living together without marriage or premarital sex, that these are somehow modern sins. Mm -hmm. Um, But at this time, it was not uncommon to take a test ride before being married, even to make sure that both of you could have children, Mm -hmm. because childbearing was not just a 
religiously such an important part of marriage, but economically was was vital for families. Um, <clears throat> so there's, it's not like modern sins only came about right. in modernity. The sin is the sin that may have a different reason for that sin or a different explanation or self-justification for that sin in different eras and different places, right? right? Um, you know, uh, you might think of um, a, a true uh, um, hatred of women uh, uh, that would be something that be different in 1950s in Victorian Alabama England than in 21st century than in Palestine in you know 1400 whatever so right. um, we, we do try to keep that in mind so there is the okay we have the secular the, the, there there are times in history where the church had to fill the vacuum for the secular yeah. power there are times when the secular had to fill the vacuum of the ecclesiastical power this may be one of those situations so you can see why luther is like i understand that the 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 local magistrate or the 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 prince um has to somehow fund this has to be in charge of this wants this to happen i mean elector Fre elector john is going to be for visitations because this is his people right you can't harm well, you can't but then you're harboring all, an outlaw luther yeah. Um, he is now himself an evangelical. If he's putting his life and territory at risk, he wants this church to be viable. Right. And so you can't, you can't hardly blame him for making sure that this happens. So you can see, okay, we can allow in this quote-unquote emergency situation. You could also see how we're really going to have very strict laws when it comes to church orders, when it comes to how many times maybe you take Holy Communion, although that's not really, I, it's a bad example. But you could see this is desperate situation, and so we need to have some strict guidelines on moral behavior, you know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was, uh, you know, this is, this is Puritanism or anything. I'm not saying that. But you could easily see the temptation right to go down the path of law and because of it's kind of an emergency situation we have to get ourselves ordered right now um, in this very unique situation where we are able to have a little as you said a little breathing room um, as we're starting to break away um, whether it be temporarily or permanently from the papacy the archbishops, the bishop, the, the monastic system, all of those things that had been in place in European society for hundreds of years. I did like that you, you talked about, you know, you're, you're sort of rebuilding something from scratch here. And I always thought that that would be a unique, wonderful opportunity to go into a parish where you had to write a church order, right? Or you got to set up worship or you got to set up the things that you wanted that you thought would be the way to go. And, and this is one of those opportunities where you go, okay, we don't know anything. So let's write a catechism. We don't know how to order our stuff. So let's think this through with the church order. Today, we would call it a congregational um, constitution. Yeah, it's kind of like a church constitution. Although the, the Kirchenordnung were usually um, for a territory or an sure. area, not just for one parish. Right. So you right, may would They would have not been able to wrap their head around our congregationalism. No. So, you know, how is it, how are the churches going to look in and around Saxony? Right. right. Um, 
you have a burgeoning uh, uh, life of hymnody, right? You're going to have new hymns that are going to come out. Um, and then starting from scratch, teaching people how to preach. It's actually a pretty exciting time, but it is very detail oriented and it's very time consuming. And so we'll probably have a whole episode on Johannes Buchenhagen, but he is the one who is going to be, uh, let's say the one that's going to be sent away. Maybe we could even call him. He's, he's the go-to guy when it comes to this sort of stuff. He's the expert on organizing a church and this affects luther luther is going to go on some shorter visitation trips but the big thing that's going to affect him is that bugenhagen who was had a lot of preaching duties in wittenberg um is going to leave a lot of that on luther and so luther is going to become a little bit more burdened with the local congregation is probably a good thing and at the the same time when bugenhagen's gone luther's pastor is gone right bugenhagen is luther's bike fodder he's his father confessor he's his preacher and uh, in this time, Luther, as we mentioned last time, he's starting to have children. Uh, during this period, they lose uh, eight-month-old, right, Elizabeth. Um, and so it is kind of a, it's a mature and yet passionate time for Luther, right? He is not this single guy, this monk who is starting a, a fire, uh, who lit the match of the Reformation, but he has to control this. He now has a wife, he has a family, he has obligations. He is, he is maturing, right? right? I mean, you can think about he's not a um, 21-year-old who is on fire for Jesus and is a vicar, you know, continuing his education here and figuring things out. He is a seasoned pastor, a seasoned theologian, a father, um, a husband, and has all those responsibilities that come with, let's say, middle age. Right. So try, trying to give a picture of Luther here, uh, you know, his personality, what's going on in his life as these visitations are, are, are occurring and uh, Melanchthon and Bugenhagen are playing roles in this as well. And um, I think along the lines of what you pointed out, Mike, this is a, a key part of the settling in of the Reformation. Um, the after years of being embroiled, the Wittenberg faculty as a whole, really, of being embroiled in the kind of setting off of the Reformation, of confessing mode, right? Um, now it has to be, how does this settle in? How does this last? Um, how does this trickle down to the laity? I would just point out, too, and I don't think we have to go too long with this episode, but when we talk about church and state in this as well, I want to avoid anachronism. Um, coming out of the, the Middle Ages, you have this medieval synthesis where church and state in many ways are, are synthesized. They are hard to distinguish often where one leaves off and the other picks up. And Michael, you hit on this when you talked about sometimes one fills the vacuum, sometimes the other. So this is not as if in 2020, the governor of Wisconsin were overseeing a reform of the the churches, um, but it is a step towards um, tension in where the church leaves off in Protestant lands and where the state leaves off, and what the relationship uh, will be. Um, if you're interested in reading the instructions for the visitors of the parish pastors in Electoral Saxony, those are available in a number of places. They can be a, a good, helpful read. 
Um, but just to hit again, relationship between law and gospel, how does that relate to church organization, relationship between church and state, the importance of training clergy, the importance of supporting clergy, right? If they're going to do their job, they have to be able to eat and live somewhere. Um, what church looks like when we gather, the role of preaching, these will be the key things to me that stand out. Um, I'll let you wrap up, Mike. Anything else you have on that? And these uh, parishes and these priests now, we maybe call them pastors. Today we would call them pastors um, in the Lutheran vernacular, but they're going to be tested uh, 1527. You have the plague's going to come to Wittenberg. Um, you know, what is their responsibility to their town, to their parish? Um, it, 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 they don't have time to really... <laughs> This is happening very, very quickly, yeah. uh, which which does surprise me. Um, and none of these things are ever the only thing on their plate. Right. You know, in our day, I mean, it takes, you know, the church moves at glacial speed sometimes to our frustration. Um, but boy, man, they things were moving. Uh, things were moving in, in these in these times. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the, the Reformation is settling in. What we're going to uh, tackle next time, not exactly sure, but we'll probably talk about, probably maybe get into the small and large catechism, certainly Johannes Bugenhagen, and then 1529, well, the second diet of Spire. And we're getting really close to kind of a big date, which is 1530, which would be the Diet of Augsburg. That is definitely going to be a turning point in this Reformation history with the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. So we're making progress. So we hope that you will come back and you're enjoying our very slow walk through the life and thought of Martin Luther. Uh, so come back next time and we'll talk catechisms and or Johannes Bugenhagen uh, getting our way through the 1520s. Until then, let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I say I'm up, another round I say I'm up, another round I say I'm up, another round One more round won't get me down